Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Is it possible to treat your food addiction in one to three sessions? Welcome to Food Junkies Podcast. My name is Dr. Vera Tarman, and I am your co-host today along with Clarissa Kennedy. Today, we speak with Judith Hanna, who believes that it is possible to treat food addiction quickly using rapid transformational therapy. Judith Hanna is a food coach and practitioner of rapid transformational therapy. She received her degree in cultural studies and business administration in the University of Passau, Germany, and completed her RTT training in March of 2023 under the tutelage of its founder, Marissa Peer. Rapid transformational therapy is a therapeutic approach drawn from Gestalt, CBT, hypnotherapy, and mindfulness. This blend promises a personalized approach to help clients reframe negative beliefs hidden in the subconscious mind towards a more positive addiction-free mindset. Let's see how Judith makes this approach work with her food addiction clients in the one to three sessions. So welcome, Judith. Thank you, Vera, first of all, for having me here. It's a pleasure speaking to you. Okay, thank you. So we always like to start with the personal touch. Can you tell us, please, how you found RTT and why did that particular approach speak to you? And then also your specific interest in food addiction or eating disorders. Mm. How did, tell us your story around that, please. Whatever you're willing to share. Yeah. So basically it's been something I've been reading, like when I was a little bit trying to understand why sometimes we can't change behaviors, why we are like falling back into old patterns when we have to try to change things. Yes. And basically it was, I was reading online about how you can overcome traumas, like long life traumas, decades long traumas in a very short amount of time. And that caught my interest, like apart from my regular classical education, university studies and job. So that's why that's when I decided to research and find out. And that's how I discovered RTT. And then also it was very quick sequence of events. Then I participated in a webinar from Marissa Pia and I had like for myself mind blowing aha moments, light bulb moments. And I started the enrollment process the day after. So I made application and I really, I completely dove into this topic, the subconscious mind, how it works, where memories are stored, how you can change. And yes, and so why food addiction, why eating behavior disorders? So I find personally the relationship that we have with ourselves shows mainly in two ways. In the relationship that we have with other people, mostly family members, right? And especially as women, also in our eating habits and choices. So this is an issue which goes very deep. By the emotions attached to eating and what is all underneath. And that's why I was so interested in this topic. And also, of course, myself, like I could eat bars of chocolate in a couple of minutes before that. And 
then it was easy to change that. So I'm grateful for that. Did you identify yourself as a food addict at that point? Or do you actually now identify yourself as one? That's a great question. Because diving into the distinction between addiction and habits. Okay. Actually, if it does jump right into the theory, why don't you start from scratch and tell us first about the theory of RTT and then exactly what you're saying, that distinction between habit and addiction. Okay. So basically the theory, and it can be very easily understood in the context of food addiction is right now we have a huge percentage of the population that's food addicted, especially sugar. So no person, no baby was born as an addict. So the theory behind it's that it's a learned behavior that has been acquired at a certain point in the life. And this means you can unlearn it, right? Going back to the natural, to do the reset, right? And yes, this is how it works basically. So the methodology, we work within a state of the subconscious mind, mm -hmm. right? After we get to know what are the triggers, the habits, the little bit of the context, right? Because this allows a person to access memories and an understanding, which usually is not available, at least not in that depth from the conscious mind. The specific criteria is that we then, we do this very quickly, you know, like going into that very deep relaxed state where the brainwave changes. And then we guide the person back to how, where, why, and when this behavior was learned. So which had been the experiences and the meaning drawn out of these experiences, because it's actually the experiences that stay with the person, but it's the meaning, the belief that creates out of that event, of, out of that experience. And so once a person understands why she's or he is behaving in that way, for example, in food addiction, what emotions are being pushed away, like what is the underneath root cause, then you can release that and say, okay, that's fine. That's okay. But now we can change it. And that's why when where the dig jumps into and you can create new neural pathways, rewiring new behaviors and new ways of thinking into the subconscious mind. So basically what it is when I said it's not treating symptoms, only trying to change the behavior from outside with restriction or like substituting one compensating mechanism through another, right? We try to understand what it is all about and then to deal with it because a person needs to feel the feelings and then they can understand and release them. But as long as the feelings and feelings of not being worthy of enough, of not being good enough, of like still waiting for like sometimes love, which any need that hadn't, hasn't been met or like sometimes people, children, they are a little bit selfish. Like they think the whole world turns around them. So when, for example, mom is late to catch them from school and they had a bad day and there had been X, Y, Z happening, then they think, okay, I'm not loved. I'm not lovable in that moment. And sometimes this Little tiny things can lead to create beliefs and then can continue. It doesn't need to be, but can. Just to apply what you said, where we might or I might say, somebody comes to me and says, I have a problem with my food in the evening rather than, so I might say, okay, you identify that 
So find a way to distract yourself or maybe you think it's an issue of love. So find a way to self-love yourself. You would say instead, let's find what the need is, the essence of that need under the unconscious need. And we have to go to that, not just the compensation of taking a nice warm bath. Yeah, of course. Of course, loving oneself is an important part of it right? Because it says treating yourself good. And when eating a lot of junk food, stuff like that, of course, everyone knows it's not good. And of course, it's about creating new habits as well, right? But we just, we go before we try to understand what has led to that behavior first. So the thing, it makes the process a lot easier and feeling like it's not like trying this, the desire and trying to force oneself to change the behavior. So it comes like from inside, right? When you change the autopilot, like that subconscious mind saying you, I need this right now. Once you understand, for example, that many people crave a specific type of food, the fat sugar combo, right? Which naturally does not exist except in the breast milk. Right. So many try to recreate feelings of closeness, of warmth, of comfort through these foods. And then, of course, we can go back and understand, okay, that's not what I really need for right now. And I'm, I can release it. I can choose better ways. So would you be able to walk us through an example of, like Vera said, we certainly have a lot of individuals who struggle in the evening. Maybe it's loneliness, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's boredom. So how would your technique help these people during that time? Because when we work with clients, often they can label the emotion. They know what they're feeling, but they can't cope with the craving because they know that food's going to do the trick immediately and it's going to change how they feel. And so how would your technique work differently? So basically, yeah, that's why when what you describe is exactly the problem, right? Because the brain has so much proof that this creates a short-term happiness, right? So they have million proofs and that's why the, the autopilot inside drives them to grab those foods, especially in the evening or at nighttime. And yes, it's very true from a conscious mind to change that, right? Because as I said, the autopilot from inside says it makes you feel better. And our mind always wants to help us and make wants to make us feel happy and feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's very essential part of going into the subconscious mind, going into a hypnosis and uncovering it there because it helps the client to get a lot deep understanding what the problem is about. And also it helps to rewire the thought process behind. And so then you can combine it with a conscious reminders right in the moment where it because it takes sometimes of course until new habits are installed sometimes it really can work within one session and sometimes it takes a little longer so that depends on each person and then you can put like little reminder for example right now I've been working with a client and she loves a hot milk in the evening of -hmm. course not out of physical hunger because this is the first thing that every person needs to understand to be able to distinguish, am I physically hungry? Do I want to eat, but not because my body needs physical nourishment, right? Yeah. And then we go back and she understands it's because she feels close to her mom in that moment. And then it's important to understand the mind 
reacts to two things mainly. The words one says to oneself and the pictures created in the mind, right? And it's an illusion that basically through milk, through a food, we actually connect with that person or we actually remember that person, right? Or we actually, it gives us love. It helps to really to see what it is. So imagining this is a cow and the milk is taking out. This is not your mom, right? And like taking it a little bit easy and reminding and like activating other visuals in the head. This helps a lot. So how does RTT actually work? What actually do you do in that one or two or three sessions? So when we say we go back to the root cause, the clients in the sessions, they access scenes, events like memories that often are not in conscious memory, but unconscious memories, right? They see themselves as a little child in a certain situation and they can access their feelings in that moment. But how are you doing that? Are you doing that through hypnosis or through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. hypnosis. So we use a very deep, fast way of hypnosis. Then, of course, rapid eye movement and go into the change of the brainwave. And then I guide my clients to access these memories, basically. And also then this is an essential part to make the link between the current problem and those uncovered memories, right? So they understand where it comes from, what has been, which meaning they have been brought out of certain situations to their current behavior that they want to quit. So the person says, okay, I'm struggling with night eating. So you would put them into hypnosis in a rapid way, you said. And then how would you get them uncover that it might be because mother kept forgetting them in the evening or something? Like, how would you get there? Yeah. So basically we instruct the mind just basically to access it, right? Basically it's not an easy way, right? So a person who is in the subconscious can access the subconscious mind. They can, like the subconscious mind is like a genius, right? When you ask the right questions, Mm. so asking the right questions is important. And then they are led like going through like timeline process and they can go back. And sometimes it's a scene that like it's on like a video, a screen in front of yourself, like you see yourself in that scene. And so it's now it's, it's a very scientific approach, of course, You just try to understand yourself. Why do I do things I don't like? You, you would just ask the client as if you were speaking to their subconscious. What is the scene that comes up that validates this fear that you have or this yeah, we ask how, where, when, of course, they learned this. And so we guide them with specific questions through the process. So we really understand what's going on. So it's a normal conversation actually taking place that works as well online, right? Which we call Zoomnosis, right? <laughs> Hypnosis via Zoom. <laughs> and yes, the person is relaxed. We speak to each other. Hypnosis is a natural state that we experience a multiple times throughout the day. Every time we as adults, like when we are glued to our screen, mobile phone, or children, like when they are absorbed by cartoons, for example, you can talk to them like 10 times and they don't hear you because they are so fully absorbed and concentrated. So that's the state, basically, we are. The nervous system is very relaxed and your subconscious mind is very focused on understanding this one issue. And that's why you are able to have a normal conversation, right? And And, and the person might say then, 
Yes, I feel the same as I did when my mother wasn't home in the evening because she was working or something like that. And then you would talk about that. Yeah. That issue. Okay. So we talk about that. We understand what is the feeling, what is behind. And also like it's peeling of layers, right? Yeah. So we peel the layers off and the person understands. And it's, it's like you're um, doing therapy with the unconscious mind. Yeah. If you'd like to frame it like this. Yeah. So the important thing is that person is always fully and completely in control. So you can never say anything they dislike. I experienced it by myself, of course. And the subconscious mind only allows what you want but the person wants it to allow. And also sometimes the interesting thing, especially food addiction or eating disorders, behaviors are can be linked to negative events, but often are linked to positive, to joyful, to feeling happiness, to feeling in belonging in the family, safety, warmth, comfort, right? This is a cake, cookies, like especially sugar, like every child loves sweets, right? And we often do the mistake and like when they hurt themselves, when they fall on the knees. So children learn very fast. Sweet food, especially sugar, makes things better. And yeah, that's important. I wanted to say that the person always is in full control. It's just hyper-focused. Yeah. So I had a question, like I know personally, and I know many clients that I work with have very little memory of their childhood and aren't able to connect. Like now people have social media right? So they can pull up the memories and they know what they were doing when they were three, this next generation. But we don't have that. And I've also heard that individuals with food or eating disorders and trauma tend to disassociate and then the brain is unable to encode those memories. However, they may still be in the subconscious. Would Are you saying that this might be a way to access some of them because I've often experienced myself, even talk therapies, what was your childhood like? I'm like, fine, but you don't, I don't really have anything else to say because I don't have particular memories of any adverse childhood experiences or not being seen or heard by my parents the way that I'm sure I wasn't. Yeah, that's the key. Exactly. And so that's the key of the success, right? To be able to access these unconscious, subconscious memories, right? Most clients say, I've had a good childhood and that's fine. That's wonderful. That doesn't need to be severe traumas to, because food addiction, especially sugar, is one of the easiest things to create, right? There doesn't need to be a very extreme event to take place. But there are often small, little, tiny things. There can be severe. Of course, they can, but they don't need to be. And the thing is, myself too, some, the access of memories go back until into the womb, right? I've experienced it myself and with clients as well, right? This is, I think, consciously no one can say they access memories from in the womb. Usually it starts with three years old, right? But this is where we like stop, right? So this is where we can access from the memory stored because little babies, they can hear inside, of course, in the mom's womb and they, the, the feelings are stored. Yeah. Even if it's not they known. They can conceptualize the actual experience to remember it, but they're still feeling it. It's like, yeah. it's like body memory or feeling memory. Yeah, both. Usually it's like when it's in the first moment, it's feeling like dark. All right. Seeing dark because this is actually what, what the baby's seeing in the womb. Darkness, right? It's all sometimes like a little bit purple, 
bread coming through. But also that can be, but does not need to. And some clients also develop food addiction or eating disorders later in life, right? It does not need necessarily need to be linked to childhood experiences. When they experience a difficult situation and then start like going for chocolate because they are sad, they don't know, they are unhappy, they need something to cope with. So when you're having this conversation with the person in hypnosis, then what are you doing? So they discover, okay, this was a significant event. Like you, the example you gave, it wasn't big, but it was still there. Mother forgot to pick me up or was very late and I was afraid. And then what would you do with that memory? Would you ask the person to, what would you do with that memory so that you can relieve them of their habit or addiction? Basically, we go to a multiple. So we usually we don't leave it with one because we really want to go to the core. And then it's very important that the person is making the link to the current situation, right? And of course, it's important that the person understands that, like, consciously she knows she's not that four years old girl or like 12 years or whatever. And then in the subconscious, which is like kept in that experience, right, needs to be brought into real life. And so we work with a lot of proofs. It's just important to explain to the mind why this basically had been a belief set up, but not necessarily the truth. And then we walk through it and understand what is the reality. And okay, many understand this is just something I thought, but now I know my mom loved me dearly, right? And then we, of course, then we go to there are several techniques and then we allow it's necessary to interrupt the process, right? And to interrupt the belief once it's been discovered, to release it and to reframe it then, of course, and to give new suggestions, right? Because in fact, in hypnosis, in a hypnotic state, the, suggest the, the subconscious mind is suggestible. So it's a person can accept new suggestions a lot easier than consciously. So that's, that's the key between regular therapy and hypnosis, because in regular therapy, you can reframe, but people just, yeah, they're, they're not as suggestible. Yeah, because inside, the, still, there's uh, like a program running 24-7. I need food to make me feel better. I need in the evening chips, crackers to relax. I need chocolate when I feel sad, lonely, deprived, whatever. So once you work against that, the problem is like when the mind cannot hold to conflicting beliefs, when there's a subconscious belief saying like subconscious minds telling like you need this to feel better, but consciously you say, oh, it's not healthy. I don't want that. Then you are in a conflicting state and then you're like paralyzed. You can't get out of the situation. It's a loop, right? And so that's why when we work from inside and re-change the autopilot running inside, then it makes the process a lot easier, right? No, I was going to say, is there anyone that maybe this modality wouldn't really be a yes. good fit for if somebody maybe who has like a mental health concern or potentially any medications that might interfere with the ability to access the subconscious? Of course, with medication, we need to be very prudent, right? It's So this is Basically, a question we ask in the very beginning, because of course, if there are antidepressive medicaments taking place, so I 
personally refrain from that. And if so, there needs to be a close cooperation with the doctor taking care of the person. So this is, of course, this needs to be watched in the beginning, right? And analyzed carefully. So a person who is experiencing depression in general can, of course, work with that modality very well, right? Because food addiction and depression is all often linked. And also because of the wounds that are behind that. And so when you fix the wounds, you can, of course, help the people very easily. But a condition, I'd say, is a person wants to change, right? So, of course, you cannot help someone who does not want help all. Of course, I don't say like a person needs to be 100% committed, right? Because a person can be like on the fence and then you can uncover because there's often a lot of limiting beliefs running that yeah. I'm not able. So for me, everyone else can, but I can't. And I'm a food addict forever, right? I was, or like the people, women who are, the parents have said, or they have heard, I'm just big boned, right? So there are often limiting beliefs running behind. And you can, of course, in the first step, address these limiting beliefs, because I found this is a very important thing to do. First, working on the limiting beliefs and then working on the problem itself. Yeah. And when it comes to conditions or, yeah, that's what I wanted to say is that. What I would say is that's a, a client that's resistant to therapy or to treatment. And it sounds like what you're saying is what are the parameters of that resistance, the self-limiting beliefs? That's probably what they are. Like, this isn't going to work. I'm not worthy of this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's often the persons have multitudes of proofs. Right. And they tried and then they stopped and like they tried so hard for one week, two weeks, three weeks. And then something happens, life comes in between and they find themselves back. So then they form with every time this happens, this beliefs, this neural pathway, this had been a trial in the beginning, gets to a highway, right? At a point. And then they see themselves as untreatable, right? And of course, then. We cannot have a look on this before. You have a discussion with the untreatable part and then you move to the issue. And I guess what you're doing is you're reframing so that the person comes out of the hypnotic state, that session, with a different belief. Is that the end product? Is that the end goal? That they wake up to reality with a different perspective on that original problem? Yes, of course. So basically they are still awake in the process, but of course sometimes they drift away. Like... But yes, of course, it's reframed. And so number one, there's often the big relief of understanding where that comes from and that it's not that it's not them not functioning, right? It's not them to blame themselves to be not disciplined enough, to be not trying hard enough. And then to laugh treating themselves well and to develop self-respect, to develop this real natural and holistic self-love worthiness to eat healthy food, to love healthy food. And it's also important to understand the effects and the importance of language, right? When a person say, oh, that's rabbit food, of course, they won't like to eat it and find it delicious. But when you change the picture, right? Like they, there are so many healthy foods available and they don't need to eat everything, but they can pick what they want. And then the love and like, finding it delicious and having pleasure, eating healthy food, all of that can be developed and reframed, right? 
Okay, and that can happen within a session to three sessions, you're saying. How does it maintain itself after that? So basically, the changes often happen within the session, right? Yes. In that process of, of uncovering, understanding, releasing, reframing. And then the audio recording, which is basically the reframing part, is something that the client listens to every day. It's like a 15 to 20 minutes recording where the client puts a him or herself in the subconscious state and listens to it with the subconscious mind. And of course, in addition, they can listen to it while cooking or what, doing whatever, but it's required to listen to it with the subconscious mind so it can absorb. So the new neural pathways can be strengthened. And this is how it maintains. And some people, they only listen to it, right? So they don't wouldn't need to listen to it to 21 days, but this is what we require. And then they can drop it and... Like months after, years after, they still, they are over it. And others, they like to listen to it like still from time to time. This depends. But the recordings to really to rewire, to, to create those new neural pathways and to strengthen them, to get them broader, thicker, right? That is essential because what we aim to do is to change the autopilot. So because we are so busy, we are decisions tired especially in the evening. So that's why we feel we can resist, especially in the evening night, because we are just decision tired from all the decisions we need to make in the day. And that's why it's very important that the autopilot inside tells very clearly what we really want to do and not old, quick fixes, quick, yeah. make you feel better. Yeah, it really sounds an awful lot to me like cognitive therapy. So I can see how that was one of the foundational pieces about working with the subconscious so that you get a leg up because you're getting at those core beliefs and you don't have the resistance that the subconscious mind throws up because you can address that resistance. So I can see how it's a faster process. Have you had any successes that you can tell us about to illustrate? Yeah, basically I had one client, a lady in Italy. She came to me with a binge eating, nearly 40 years long binge eating. So we worked on that within one session. And in her case, really, it, yeah, it came back to what Clarissa mentioned, what happens very often to that feeling of not being heard, not being seen. And so we could work on that. And the next day she told me she, she wanted to have some ice cream and she took one bite and it didn't taste as before. <laughs> she said, told me she took another bite and then she put it back for her husband's night's craving <laughs> because she didn't need it anymore. And then also she told me like, like she had been doing some days after like scientific experiments on herself. Even she didn't want to eat cookies. She wanted to eat cookies and try to understand what they do now for them. And she said, okay, they are still cookies. They still taste sweet, but they are just cookies. And this is what we want. We want to reduce the food. It's not real food, right? To food and to not have this extra additional meaning of comfort and whatever. And there's some very interesting case that I had with a client in the group coming from Mexico. So this was, there are some sad stories often behind, but what really gives me so much love for this work is that release them to release the burden that so many people are carrying within themselves and then they find themselves she was like addicted to junk food right she could not walk besides a any junk food and not have it and there was 
So in her case, like there were a mom died very young and that had itself addictions. And so she only felt cared for and safe when she right took charge of herself and go to the kiosk and store and take some junk food even in a very young age. Right. And being able to release that to and often there are so many feelings of guilt, like feeling of helplessness is one huge Thing because so many, especially children, they feel helpless and they are confronted with a solution. They see their loved ones not feeling well. They want, they think they need to change the situation, but they can't. Of course, they can't. And then they de develop this feeling of helplessness and guilt. And so this, uh, yeah, there had been, this was very intense. And so usually clients cry during the session because they face feelings they face what they have been carrying within themselves but not looked at after right just the baggage carrying within them and this is a release and this is a very beautiful way and there's something else i want to highlight is that it's not about blaming anyone like parents or any person they did something wrong like it's just an introspection and trying to understand what did that little girl, what did that little boy think in that situation? What did they feel and what were they are holding on until their adult life, right? And it's our, all our life is created. Like we live in constant experiences. We are not living in one bubble, isolated. So there are always experiences, but it doesn't need to stay with us. One meaning that one conclusion and yeah. I just wanted to highlight that it's not about blaming or anything. It's just understanding and like asking, is that really true? And then go on, move on, let that go and own the yeah. life, right? right? Own the person. Yeah. And that person that you gave the example, the one that mm -hmm. was a binge eater mm -hmm. and then was able to put the food down. Do you think it's possible if you use this technique with somebody that they might be able to eat a little bit of junk food every once in a while in the way that it seemed that she would? That's, is that a goal or a possibility? So whether it's a goal or not, it depends on a person, right? There are persons who don't want ever go back and there are some others who said, okay, I just want to be able to decide when I want you to eat moderately, to eat selectively. And so this is something that we call selective eating. And this oh. is very... It's well able to, to realize that, to achieve that. The important thing is that we are very precise, right? We give them very clear indication, like one day a week, want to have chocolate, right? Or a piece and describe the quantity. So not to open it all again, right? This is what many people have when really after a food addiction. Sometimes it's also recommendable to pause it completely and then going back to moderate some like often social for social events, for example. So basically it's possible and it helps people to not see it like, of course, we, anyway, we change the belief to be deprived from something, right? But it's definitely possible when you reframe it to what the person wants. Do you think that the addict will ever say, I want to stop? Because the essence of addiction is, I want to be able to have it a little bit and manage it, which we found in the addiction field, it's unmanageable. But you're saying that possibly it is manageable. 
Yeah. So basically, acknowledging an addiction is the first step, of course. This might nicely go into what is an addiction versus a habit. Mm -hmm. Remember, you were going to talk about that. Basically, first of all, an addiction, some people are very clear they have addiction. And of course, it depends on the level of consciousness the person are having. Some don't see their problem as a problem, as an addiction, because it's familiar to them. It's their default situation system, right? When you see every day junk food, chocolate sweets in the evening, then you think that this is normal until you find out it shouldn't be like that, but it is not. So a habit. So then there are some questions that make help also the listeners to understand whether they are having an addiction or not. So number one question is, does this behavior make a bad feeling goes away and releases good feelings? This is number one definition of addiction and of Marissa Pierre, right? Uh, shifting from a bad feeling to a good one. And the second one is, can you stop? Are you able to stop or do you need it every day? You need it regularly. So these two questions helps to understand whether a person is facing an addiction or not. And the difference to a habit is the second question, a person who has a bad habit is able to stop it, right? They don't need to have it in that regularity. And yes, I think I missed the fight. No, no, that's okay. I'm curious if someone comes to see you and maybe they're still in the food that which we would maybe classify as impaired sometime. Mm -hmm. Is it different how you work with them? Because obviously for us thinking about the addicted brain, they're going to be activated. They're going to be spiking dopamine. Dopamine is really asking for more. Do you have to work differently with that person than somebody maybe who's been out of the food for a few days and they're maybe not physically, like physiologically dependent on the substance in that moment? Yeah, so they're asking for this question in the moment. Basically, I think with food addiction, it doesn't make play such a different make such a difference than we have like a chemical, like uh, alcohol. If somebody showed up impaired, or even like stronger ones, yeah. So there is, of course, it's important that the people are clear minded, right? That they are not under the substance. But for even if they have a high sugar level in that moment, right, blood sugar level, that does not affect the ability to understand it and to go back to that. And of course, very important in the beginning is also to understand what does the person want, right? And then that's why we work very individually. And as I said, going like being, for example, living sugar-free or stopping overeating then can go hand in hand with eating selectively. But right when it's like really that from the addiction point of view, we usually, the goal is right to being indifferent to the substance. And not having the need for it. And of course, as I said, in the beginning, we work, what are the triggers you're facing, right? What are your habits? And the approach, and also I think Vera, that might answer a little bit the question, the previous question, why is it so effective? Because we work very precisely with the, yes, also like we, we melt it together with very particular daily situations because the mind can work a lot better when you use a very clear precise language and the imagination, the visualization. So what will I do in that situation? Right? So you let the client in the 
session, visualize, okay, you're in that space, in the couch, like coming home, and then you wire in new habits. Would that work with an alcoholic, somebody who says, I just want to be able to drink on the weekend? So it depends what they consider of um, drinking selectively. So well, when I'll just get on the weekend, wine uh, with my wife. Yeah. And they're used to having a bottle of wine every night. <laughs> yeah. From our training to so the indication is it must be limited to not more often than three times a week okay. and not more often than one or two classes. Right. Yeah. So personally, I have not been working with alcohol addiction in my personal experiences. But I think, of course, it helps many people from alcohol. It's more important to really stay away from it. And of course, there had been examples that a person wants to have a glass in a specific event, right? So that can be wired in that only in that one specific situation, but not on a regular basis. But I think that the problem at its root cause is not clear when a person really wants or thinks they need to have it like every week regularly. So yeah. then I'd dive a little bit even so what does make you think you need it yes okay yeah that seems to make a more sensible approach to me than trying to somebody to figure out how they can have this one glass of wine and probably will torture themselves through the entire experience and be completely focused on just that one glass of something that they can have instead of just figuring out like why do you think you need this? What could it look like if you didn't have it? What are you seeking from that? So I think that is really powerful. So can you share with us where our listeners can find you and a little bit more about you? My website is www.beyondfoodfeelings.com. And I think we will put that in the caption. And I have also created a subpage for sugar addiction in that case. And so this is where I'm mainly accessible. And of course, we I will always have conversations with the person interested in advance of anything, right? So you'll do a free consultation before yes, just to make sure it's a good fit. Awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like a two-step even, right? Because it's important to for both sides to get to know each other, to understand and write, because I really care about every person I'm working with and wanting I'm helping them with my whole heart. So I'm very dedicated. And also I always offer support in between the sessions. So I don't let the clients like learn. So we always check in. I always usually work in like in a container, right? I offer telegram support and also and often in cases like weekly coaching calls because I feel it's also important for clients to learn how the mind works, right? the impact of words they are using for themselves and many tools. So to make it a real. I would imagine that you want that first session also to determine how much they really want it. Because I know a lot of people who just shop around, but that didn't work, that didn't work. I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. And you must have a sense that I don't know if this person's that committed to this process. You would be able to pick something like that up, right? Yes, of course. A person wants to really like to solve the problem. Right. And of course, a usual, a common feeling is feeling uncomfortable in the process of it. So every person feels like every change, every like new approach. I have so many clients, they tell me 
will that really work because I did try XYZ before. Yes. Right. And yes. so that's why, like I said, in the beginning, it's very important to work on these proofs in the brain, these self-limiting beliefs before. And yes, of course, it's important to understand the situation. And as I said, it does not need to be like a hundred percent commitment, like a person who wants to change their life. And I always ask, what's the reason? Why do you want to change that? And for many, it's like role modeling to their children. It's their health, so many things. And that's why it's under important to understand. And the beautiful thing is when speaking with the clients and asking these questions in the pre-consultation phase, they get so much clarity for themselves. So why does that really matter to me? Why is it important, right? And the beautiful thing also is that with the, the food addiction or eating disorders cured gain so much like healing, like happiness from inside because when the wounds are fixed and so this becomes a very, the original problem, sometimes it's just a side effect, right? Yeah, it's like a symptom, right? Mm -hmm. Of like when we actually do the real healing of the wound. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So we do have a signature question and for you, you can answer it either ways. If you could tell a younger version of yourself something about either food addiction or RTT therapy, what would you tell her? So I think the most important thing is I'd say choose wisely the things you're telling yourself. Choose the words wisely and things that happened in the past do not need to impact your future, right? Love that so much. It does matter so much the things we say to ourselves and the way that we say them to us. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Judith. Really appreciate your coming. Thank you very much. I think Clarissa said it was a pleasure speaking yes. with you and thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one -on -one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours. <laughs>